Please be seated. Let's turn to God's Word together. Our Old Testament text is Psalm 19. Psalm 19. This is God's perfect word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In our New Testament text, 2 Timothy 3, we'll read verses 10 through 17. The sermon's really going to zero in on verse 16, but we'll read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. That's page 1,368 in the church Bible. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And the rest is not on the slide. Let me turn there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's again ask His blessing. 
Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're continuing on in this series we're doing in the Shorter Catechism. We're on question two, um, which is all about Scripture, the doctrine of Scripture. Um, it's about why we believe what we believe. Uh, so I want, I want to begin by thinking about that question with you. Uh, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe in uh, the God of the Bible? Uh, why do you believe in, in, in Him and not some other God? Why do you believe what you believe about the God of the Bible? Because many people will claim to, to believe in Him, but have different ideas of what that means. Why, why do you not believe in a different God or many gods? Why do you believe what you do about how you should live your life? A lot of people would disagree with us about how we should live our lives. The majority of people probably would disagree with us about the, the, the right way to live a, a, a life. Why do we believe what we do? Perhaps, um, you know, some people would say, well, we believe what we believe because it makes sense, because it's, it's common sense, or because it's based on science, or because it's based on uh, uh, some other history, archaeology. Maybe, maybe we believe what we believe just because it's personal preference. It's our opinion or it's our upbringing. Maybe it's just because we do. We've just kind of fallen into something and that's, that's what we do. How do we know what we believe is true and right? How do we have conviction about our beliefs? Can we be certain about what we believe? All these questions, right, getting at, getting at this idea of, of what is the foundation for everything that we think about God and ourselves and the world? What's the basis that we build the whole thing on, right? We, we can't get the foundation wrong. If you get the foundation wrong, everything else is going to be out of line, out of square. It won't hold up. Uh, we, we have to get the foundation right. So as the Westminster Divines come together uh, to, to, to work out, hammer out the, the, their system of doctrine that they see in Scripture, they start with man's chief end in question one, and then in question two, they, they turn to the foundation for everything they believe. They start with a foundational claim, and then they give a far-reaching implication. A foundational claim, and then a far-reaching implication. Their foundational claim is, is that Scripture, the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is indeed the Word of God. Uh, that, that this book that we have here, these 66 books of Old and New Testament, this is God's very Word. Notice how they don't start. They don't start with, uh, with, with looking to general revelation, looking to uh, the world around us to say, well, you should believe that there's a God because it's evident in the things that have been made. That's true. But that's not the foundation they start with. Uh, they don't start with human reason. They don't, they don't try to work their way up to God. They don't try to compile the scientific data and say, well, here's why we should believe in God. Instead, they say, we start with the fact that God exists and that he's revealed himself to us clearly in his word. God has spoken to us. God has spoken. That's how they start. But they're not just kind of grabbing this idea out of the air, are they? Uh, if, we, if we turn to the text here, right, 2 Timothy 3.16, we see 
This is exactly what Scripture itself teaches. That the Bible is where we start. That the Bible is the very Word of God. Uh, Verse 16 there begins like this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration means breathed out. God God spoke this word. He, 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 He breathed out these words that are in our Bibles. These aren't the words of men only. Yes, God used men to speak them and to write them. But these are his word. Uh, Peter also writes about this over in Second Peter chapter uh, 1. He says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't view itself as the creation of man. The Bible is self-conscious about the fact that it's the Word of God. Uh, uh, Some people would say, no, 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 the Bible uh, never claims to be the inspired Word of God. But it does, it's clear. The New Testament writers treat the Old Testament as the inspired Word of God. Uh, the, The Bible itself says of itself, I am the Word of God. It's clear for us. Uh, There's no doubt at all that the Bible makes this claim that all of Scripture, every line of it, is God's Word. So that's that's where the divines go, based on this text here. The Bible is the breathed-out Word of God. The question, then, is, do we believe what the Bible says about itself? It's indisputable. The Bible says it's the Word of God. It's right there in the text. Do we believe what it says about itself, that it is the Word of God? And, and how can we know for certain? Paul doesn't actually address this issue head-on in, in 2 Timothy. I'm sure he didn't have to. Timothy already, he's writing to Timothy. He's encouraging him to continue on in the faith. Uh, 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 he's, he doesn't need to convince him that God is uh, the, the author of Scripture. Uh, so he just states it and then moves on. Uh, but other Scriptures will draw this, draw this out and shed some light on this. Uh, but, but in general, it's not Scripture's burden to prove itself as the Word of God. Um, it's not Scripture, the Word of God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't uh, build an argument for itself as the Word of God. It just declares that it's the Word of God. Right? Well, there's lots of things we could point to. Um, and we see... The Westminster Divines do this and other in the Confession of Faith and the larger catechism that, that, that are evidence that the Bible is the Word of God, right? So they talk about the majesty of the style of Scripture. Right? What other book is so majestic in its, in its descriptions of, of God and, and, and its style and its, and its language? Uh, what other writing has the majesty that the writing of Scripture has? They point out the holiness of Scripture. What other book is, is so concerned with holiness like Scripture is? Uh, they, they, they point out uh, how, how all of Scripture coheres and agrees. Right? This, this book is written uh, over thousands of years by scores of men. And yet it all comes together like a glorious symphony around this one great theme of the Lord Jesus Christ and our redemption and how we glorify and enjoy God in Him. What other book could be like that? but the Word of God Himself. Um, we can point to the, to the, to the, uh, the, the, the uh, radical God-focused nature of this work. What other book is so concerned with God? Right? The Bible is so God-focused consistently on every page. Um, it, it's concerned to give all the glory to Him 
Would a human write a book like that? Think, for example, Paul's definition of sin. We looked at this a little bit last week. Paul says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, sin is to not glorify God. What other, what other uh, book would tell us that? Be so concerned with His glory. What other book would tell us if the Trinity... Or could a man think of that? Or the mystery of God becoming man. Right? These are things that only the Word of God itself could tell us and reveal to us. Some things that no man could ever come up with. So we could, we could point to all these things. We could point to how powerful Scripture is to convert sinners and change lives and comfort God's people in every affliction. How the promises of God are so sweet and encouraging. God's fingerprints are all over the Bible. So we could, we could point to these things. There are all these evidences. But, but all this is not why we believe that the Scriptures are the Word of God. We believe simply because here we hear God's voice. The Spirit comes, opens our ears to hear God's voice. We've been talking about uh, Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And there in John 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice. And the sheep don't sit back and wait for the shepherd to prove he's really the shepherd. They either recognize his voice or they don't. And and that's what Scripture is like. It's the Word of God, and we either hear it and we recognize his voice by the Spirit's work, or we don't. The Westminster Larger Catechism puts it like this, the Spirit of God bearing witness by and with the Scriptures in the heart of man is alone able to fully persuade him that that they are the very words of God. So this is why we believe the Scriptures are God's Word. Because we hear God speak here and we recognize His voice here. God speaks and we hear Him. It's important that we see this, that, that the Scriptures bear witness to themselves, that, that they don't um, need to appeal to some other authority for us to trust them. Um, if, if, if we had to say, well, we're only going to believe this is the Word of God because of some other authority, then, then that other authority would be higher than the authority of Scripture. So we don't say that we believe the Scriptures are the Word of God because the church tells us they are, because that would mean the church has authority to tell me what's the Word of God and what isn't. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't look to the results of critical uh, uh, theory. Uh, we don't look to the results of uh, uh, historical criticism as it looks at God's Word to say what the Word of God is. Uh, we say, no, the Word of God is the Word of God. God's Word is the highest authority. Uh, you can't have another authority behind it to, to verify it. And this is how the Bible speaks of itself. How does the Bible begin? Think of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, right? That's, that's how Genesis starts. God is there and he's speaking. And the Bible doesn't say, now here are some reasons why you should believe in him. It just declares that he is. Because there's no other authority that could, that could prove him to us. The Bible uh, speaks like this of, of God's word. Psalm 29, verse 3 and, and following. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. 
The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. That's what God's voice does. You can't mistake it. Or Isaiah 55:11, God's word shall not return empty. It will accomplish every purpose he sends it out to accomplish. So that's ultimately, loved ones, that's the ultimate reason we believe the Bible is the Word of God, breathed out by God. Because He tells us it's His Word. He breathed it out, every, every word of, of this book. So, loved ones, uh, do, you, do you treat the Bible like it is that Word of God? Think of those words we read earlier in Psalm 19, which is a celebration of God's revealing himself in his world, and especially his word. And it talks about how his word is, is sweeter than honey and better than riches. Are we treating God's word like that? If this is true, what does it, what does it mean for us? That's what the second part of the catechism question and answer turns and addresses. So it says, first of all, it tells us this is God's Word, this book. This is the Word breathed out by God. And then it says that it's the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Paul does something very similar in the text, 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's the Word of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. In both these, right, the, the catechism reflecting the Scripture and the Scripture itself, it's saying, this is God's Word. Now here's what it means for you. Uh, Paul, here in the text, 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy 3.16, gives four things this Word is essential for. He says it's essential for doctrine and teaching, first of all. Remember the context that 2 Timothy is? He's, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor in a church, and he's writing to him, and he's encouraging him to continue on being a good, faithful pastor. He's trying to equip him for ministry, and he's saying, here's what you need. You need God's Word to equip you uh, to serve this people well. It's essential for doctrine. Everything Timothy teaches and everything he's to believe and everything he's to convey to this church is to be coming from God's Word. The Scripture is sufficient for that. Uh, the, the second thing we see this Word is essential for is reproof. So, Timothy, you need to correct someone. They're, they're in sin. You use the Word of God. You don't go and judge anyone by any other rule but the Word of God. You go and, and you use that to rebuke people who are in sin. It's, it's useful for correction. So you go and you rebuke someone with the word, Timothy, but you also bring them back to walk in the right way, uh, to walk in the way of holiness again. You, you bring them back on course with Scripture. It's sufficient for that. It's essential for that. And then he tells Timothy it's essential for training in righteousness. He's kind of summing everything up here and saying, this word of God is essential for what you need to know and how you need to live. It's essential for what your church needs to know and how your church needs to live. What does this mean then for us, loved ones? What does all this mean for how we should think about the Word of God, about the Bible? Let me draw out four things. Um, four things about what, what we should think about Scripture. Um, first, we should remember that Scripture is sufficient. Scripture is sufficient. It's sufficient for uh, equipping us for everything we need for living a life pleasing to God. Uh, it's the only rule for what we believe. It's the 
guidebook for how we are to live. Uh, we don't add to it or take away from it. Um, and, and this is one of the reasons why we don't believe this, this Holy Spirit continues to need, uh, need to reveal things to us, right, by, by new revelations. Um, we don't look to prophecies to tell us God's will. We don't look to uh, tongues or visions. We have the sufficient Word of God. He's given us all that we need in this book. And, and yes, we need the Spirit absolutely to come and take this Word and work it into our hearts. But we don't need the Spirit to come and speak new words. This is the sufficient Word. Hebrews 1-2 tells us God has spoken to us in these last days in His Son, in this Word about the Lord Jesus. And He takes that, the Spirit takes that and applies it to us. Does this mean that if we don't believe in new revelations of the Spirit, if we, if we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture over against that, that we somehow lose something? Uh, that, that all we have is a dead letter and instead of the living voice of God? Uh, not at all. Uh, this is the living Word, isn't it? This is the Word of God. Paul says so to Timothy. It's sufficient for you, Timothy. And this is the Word the Spirit takes and uses in us. Scripture is sufficient. It's also necessary. Where would we be without the Scriptures? Where would we be? Right? We, we would not know Christ. We would not know the way of salvation. We would not, would not know God without His Word. We would have uh, no hope at all without the Scriptures. They're absolutely necessary for us. Do we treat them like they're absolutely necessary? Scripture is also authoritative. It's the third thing we need to see. Scripture is authoritative. If this is God's Word, right, God speaks with absolute authority. What He says goes. We don't stand over the Word and judge it. We don't, we don't really, we, we interpret the Scriptures, we're called to do that, but really the Scriptures interpret us. They stand over us. They lay us bare and God, as God applies it to us. We don't stand over God's Word as a judge. We sit under it. As, as, uh, as servants. Scripture is also perspicuous. There's a good word. Perspicuous. Uh, it means clear. Um, I use perspicuous because it makes a good acronym. Scripture is sufficient, necessary, authoritative, and perspicuous. Snap. That's how you can remember that. Uh, perspicuous just means clear. As, as um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, this word is profitable, it's useful, it's helpful. If it's going to be those things, it must be, it must be clear. God has written it in a way we can understand. Uh, of course, it's not all clear, not to the same degree. There's this wonderful line, I'm sure you know, over in, in 2 Peter, where he's writing about how some things in Paul's letters are hard to understand. Uh, it's always an encouragement to hear Peter the Apostle say that. Uh, but, but the basics are clear. The way of salvation is clear. Who God is is crystal clear. It could not be clearer. So this, loved ones, is what the Scriptures are. It's the very Word of God, profitable for equipping us with all we need. They are sufficient for us. They are necessary. They are authoritative. And they are clear. So then again, we need, to, we need to kind of bring this, bring this home to our own hearts. Um, do we treat the Scriptures this way? Do we treat our Bibles like they are this for us? 
Maybe you're thinking, well, of course, I trust that the Bible's the Word of God. Of course, I base everything I think and live on the Word of God. But do we, do we take God at His Word and, and live that out faithfully? This is, the, this is kind of the, this is the nub. This is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. This is the battle of the Christian life, to read God's Word and trust that what He says is true. That's the struggle of the... That's the essence that, uh, of the struggle in Genesis 3, isn't it? Think back to Adam and Eve. They're there in the garden. God has given them a word. Don't eat of the tree. That's God's word to them. Satan comes and tempts them with a different word. He tempts them to disbelieve God. Did God really say? He's questioning. He wants them to question the word of God. He wants them to think, you know, wouldn't it be better if, if you were the judge instead of God. If you decided, Adam and Eve, if you decided what's right and what's wrong, instead of having God tell you what's right and wrong. Why don't, Eve, why don't, why don't you decide what's best for Eve? Don't let God tell you what's best for you. God's word, Satan is basically saying in the garden, God's word isn't sufficient for you, Eve, Adam. It's not necessary. It's not clear. Why trust him? That's what the struggle was in the garden. And of course, they, 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 they take the advice. They reject God's word and they trust themselves. They make themselves the judge. They, 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 uh, they, they stand over God's word and, and judge it. And, and, uh, and then they fall into sin. See, loved ones, this doctrine of Scripture um, is not it's just some abstract idea reserved for academic study. This is, the, this is the fight of the faith, the good fight that we're all engaged in. Faith is believing God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do, that I am who he says I am in Christ. That is the contest, the central contest of the Christian life. Will we take him at his word? Think think of an example. Perhaps you might be watching the news or reading the news and and we see something, a crisis, a tragedy, and, and the temptation comes. And the temptation is to, to, to feel like I'm not safe and, and anxiety can kick in. And, and we're tempted to try to get things under our own control. And, and, and the temptation is God isn't really keeping us safe anymore. Right? That's but what does God say in his word? He says, I am your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Do not fear, though the earth be moved and the mountains be cast into the heart of the sea. So right there in that moment, that's the, that's the fight of faith. To believe that this is the Word of God that's true, sufficient for you. That God is who He says He is. Or think of uh, uh, of how how we're tempted to ignore God's Word. We're busy. uh, We're we're tired. We're uh, too many things going on. And we we can think, you know, I'll I'll be okay. I can skip skip my devotions. I I don't need that so badly do I? That's, that's what the temptation can be. Our temptation is to think, I've got the resources in myself. I can manage this day fine on my own wisdom and my own resources. Faith says, no, God says His Word is sweeter than honey and better than riches and it's absolutely necessary for you. You can't go a step in the Christian life without it. Blessed is the man who meditates on this Word. Right. So, so faith, in these moments of temptation, faith runs to the Word of God grabs hold of the Word of God and it says, I am going to trust what God has said. 
I'm going to trust that what He said is true. I'm going to, I'm going to live my life based on what He has said, not on, the, not on the temptation of unbelief. This is why our doctrine of Scripture is so important. That's not just an abstract thing. This is the, this is the fight of the Christian life. Right? We have in our confession, in our catechism, this is the Word of God. We read it in Scripture. It's the Word of God, profitable for these things. We have to take hold of it and trust that God is who He says He is. Isn't this what Christ Himself did in the wilderness? Isn't that His... Right, He's there. He's the, he's the second Adam. Adam was tempted in the garden. Christ is there, the second Adam, tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Tempted three times. And every time, over and over, as he's tempted, he, what does he do? He says, I'm going to trust the Word of God. I'm not going to do what Adam did. Trust myself instead of the Word of God. I'm going to trust the Word of God. There in the, gar- in the wilderness, Jesus treats the Word of God as it truly is. The Word of God. And he depends on it. He relies on it. And uh, he's not just there. He's there as our example, of course. But not only that. Um, wonderfully... Gloriously, He's there as our Savior doing that for our sakes. We've been talking about how we should treat this Word. And I'm sure every one of us stands convicted uh, by what God's Word uh, calls us to do. But, but we, we run to the Lord Jesus because He perfectly kept God's commandments. He perfectly trusted that God was who He says He was. That he would do what he promised to do. He perfectly, perfectly did that. And, and that's what our salvation is. And that's what our hope is in. So, loved ones, uh, heed, uh, heed the, the words of 2 Timothy 3. Treat this word of God as it is the very word of God. Give yourselves to it. Trust it wholeheartedly. And, and live, live with your, your hands wrapped around the promises of God's word. But most of all, Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's what this Word of God is, is about. It's about Him and all His saving grace for us and His, His power for us as He Himself overcame the tempter for us and fought the good fight of the faith. This is exactly what, Tim, uh, what Paul is reminding Timothy himself of, actually. If you look back one verse from verse 16 in our text, 2 Timothy Three sixteen. Drop back to verse fifteen. It says there that the holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. See Paul drawing Timothy's attention back to Christ again, telling him what the focus of the scriptures are again, calling him to trust in Christ again. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, uh, which you have uh, so clearly given to us, which is so sufficient for us. We pray that we would hunger after it, value it, and live by it. And we pray that our eyes would be fixed on Christ, our Savior. We thank you for his perfect obedience for our sakes. We pray this uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen.